So if you have your Bibles open, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through verse 38, the joy of Christ and the servitude of the chosen. So we'll talk about a few of these things together. In your corresponding scripture that I read earlier from Psalm chapter 20, there is a couple verses that I want to highlight. Verse 1 reads, it says, a Psalm of David says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God of Jacob protect you. And God has answered this in the prolonged days of trouble. May God answer all of our requests in our prolonged days of trouble. And God has most certainly answered that prayer. The song of meditation that we sang, the song of meditation, Noel, Noel, speaking about the day when the Lord gave the ultimate answer and the remedy for this, this trouble. What is the trouble of humankind? What is the trouble that humankind faces? It is the trouble of sin and brokenness and despair. It is only through Christ that we find the remedy for this time of trouble of sin. The first Noel was a song that was written during the medieval era when there was beginning to have a revitalization of sorts. Civilization was beginning to spring back to life in some regard as we were working through war and plagues and disease. And, and there was many biblical narratives that were beginning to spring back to life uh, through the pages of Scripture and, and through the pages of songs that we, that we hold and cherish even today. The first Noel retells the narrative the night that Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem. It is grounded in the gospel accounts in Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2. And may I remind us that there is only one gospel. There is only one gospel. It is not necessarily the gospel of Luke, the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark or John. It is one gospel and it is the gospel according to Luke or according to Matthew chapter 2. Now, Noel is a French word for Christmas. It is the Latin word meaning birthday. And since the word means birthday in the French language, it can be argued that the first Noel is implicating, is, is almost elevating, is almost wanting the worshiper to understand that the most important birth to ever occur was that of Jesus. The most important birthday of all of history is when God stepped into humanity through the person of Jesus. Now, most medieval poetry at that time was written to be sung, so it, would, it could be alleged that the words were written with a present melody or tune already in mind. Okay? It is much like the hymns in your hymn book today. Do you know that some of your hymns in your hymn book come from old bar tunes? That they would meet when they didn't have a place to meet. They would meet in the old bars when they weren't servicing the people. And they would pull up to a piano and there would be a piece of music, sheet music. And they would take those words that they wrote down and they would put it up against that music. So they already had a tune in mind. And a melody in mind. And at the beginning of the 19th century, the singing of Christmas carols was starting to diminish in in England, and it was one Davis 
Gilbert, who is credited for introducing the rev this revival of sorts. In fact, the, nurse, the first Noel was published in Gilbert's Some Ancient Christmas Carols in 1823. Now, the song itself, the first Noel, it, it weaves a narrative from the gospel accounts of the shepherds being confronted by the angels, announcing the birth of Christ, looking upon the star of Bethlehem and following the star of Bethlehem and wise men trekking towards the direction of said star and bowing in humility and worshiping before the Christ child. They offer up gold and, and myrrh and this weird offering of frankincense. Frankincense itself was used in preparing a body for burial. So maybe in God's providence, His foreknowledge, these, these wise men brought these offerings and a foreshadowing of the death of our Lord. Even so, many years ago, these wise men, these shepherds, and certainly Mary and Joseph knew that this Child was the answer that the Lord gave in times of trouble, highlighted in Psalm 20, verse 1. Give us the answer, speak in times of trouble, God, and He has, and we find it in Christ. Verse 5 of Psalm 20 says, May we shout for joy over our salvation. We have joy in the Lord. We have joy over our salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banner. Our banner is in Christ Jesus. We ought to fly the banner of Christ high in our lives. Amen? We should fly the banner of Christ and His salvation high. May the Lord fulfill all of your petitions that the, my mind and my will will be under the will of God and that, my, that His will will line up with my will, meaning that I will want what God wants. I will desire the things that God desires in my heart and life. And I will, design, I will desire to give Him glory and give Him praise in my life. So he will fulfill all my petitions because my petitions will be what God wants. Now, with your Bibles open, I'll ask you, if you will, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll begin at verse 26 of chapter 1 in the Gospel according to Luke. This is indeed a deep joy that Christ brings because of our salvation. And then it is also a joy to, service, or to give service to King Jesus as well. So verse 26 says... In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to listen and discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, Well, how would this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her. She was called barren. Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Then the angel departed 
from her. Lord, I pray as we travel through this text today, a well-known passage, God, I just pray, Lord, that you will speak to us. May we, at the end of this time together today, may we say, let it be to me according to your word. Father, speak to us, change us, transform us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, Luke the Evangelist, you know we call him the Evangelist because he, he wrote out this. He was, the, he was the Evangelist in writing down what, what happened in the life of Jesus. He was the investigative reporter of the gospel account of Jesus. He went door to door, if you will, bearing firsthand accounts of the life of, of Jesus. And he spent much time building the case that this one foretold was and is the answer and fulfillment of, of the longing for God to intervene in the affairs of humanity. For a long, long time, Israel was looking for their Messiah. Humanity was crying out for redemption, crying out that God would answer in some way. And Luke was likewise demonstrating that God has always been active in the affairs of humanity. God has always been active in the affairs of human history. Don't think for a moment that God was absent or that God is essentially silent. May I say this? If God was ever inactive in human history, this world would crumble around us. God has always been active. So don't think for a moment that God was absent or that God was even silent. God is always at work in human history. So don't ever think that he is absent or, or silent. And the birth and life of John the baptizer begins to set the scene for Jesus entering into human history in this magnificent way, that he is the projected Lamb of God who will take upon himself the sins of the world, pointing to his sacrifice. And we find in our verses today the forecasted birth of Jesus and we find how Mary will interact with the angel Gabriel. And what can we learn of the character and nature of God? What can we learn from, from Mary? What do we learn from Mary's interaction with the angel Gabriel? There's a couple different thoughts that come to mind. First, it is a troubling and joyful thought of being favored. A troubling and yet joyful thought of being favored and they both work hand in hand at least they should if we're thinking rightfully about God's Word verse 26 says in the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth now a couple of important items to recall about this verse first the sixth month was not so much what we call June but as specified in verse 36 was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy and the messenger, or the angel Gabriel, which is one of three, we have Gabriel, Michael, and of course Lucifer, mentioned in the Bible. And there's a very specific reason why angels are not elevated, they're not venerated, they're not worshipped in the Bible. They are simply God's messengers of divine or special revelation, and Gabriel is one of those here. So Gabriel was sent by God to speak to Mary, who was in the city of Nazareth. Why Nazareth of all places? Why not in Jerusalem? Why not rising up in the city of Jerusalem, which seemed to be a Mecca or a prime place for commerce and where business occurred? Why not in a place like that? I want you to remember that God always operates 
in the realm of lifting up the underdog, so to speak, to give himself the glory. And it is the same here. Keeping with the theme of humility, what we see in Philippians chapter 2, that Christ came and took on the place of a servant. Christ didn't come as a potentate. He didn't come as an emperor. He didn't come to this earth as a king in the sense of what we are thinking. He didn't come to, to rule and reign over cities and over providences. He came to the place of a servant. And keeping with that theme, Jesus was from a town that was not well known or popular at all. In fact, it was Nathaniel who said upon hearing of Jesus as a prospective uh, candidate for Messiah, Nathaniel even said, can any good thing come from Nazareth? The Bible tells us in verse 27, as Gabriel is announced as being sent from God, to Mary, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph for the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So a couple of different things that we want to note about both Mary and Joseph. Their lineage both can be traced from the Davidic line. So there is no doubt that this prophecy was directly in the wheelhouse of God's direct and perfect timing. God brought this together in His perfect timing because both Mary and Joseph stemming from the lineage, the Davidic lineage. Secondly, Mary was known as being a virgin, which means that she had not known a man in the sexual sense of the term. And the Hebrew rendering of Isaiah 7 and verse 14 sometimes uses this translation, maiden. And as you can imagine, much debate has occurred over using this term, virgin versus maiden especially for those who doubt the miraculous virgin birth of our, of our Lord Jesus. Some of them will say, well, you can use the term maiden or a young lady. And by this time, Mary was probably in the age of 13 to no, later, no older than 15 years of age, right in that time frame. So yes, she was a maiden in that sense, a young, a young lady, a young woman. And as you can imagine, the folks who would try to denounce the supernatural act of God intervening in human history by bringing His Son in this miraculous way to earth, they will debate and say it is made in not necessarily this supernatural birth because, you know, we can't live in this century and think of supernatural things because it drags down our IQ, it drags down our intellect to think that God somehow acted in some supernatural way, which indeed he has. But for our sake, I will fast forward to the end of this debate for us in our consideration and say that the usage of the word maiden and virgin are used interchangeably. And if one was a maiden, it is also implied that they were a virgin as well. Some people overthink things. Thinking upon the incarnation of Jesus... For God to be man and God simultaneously and in the same essence... God-man, there must be something miraculous that took place at, this, at His birth. A virgin birth. We will see what that is in just a moment. Well, listen what Gabriel says to Mary. He says to her in verse 28, Greetings, O favored one, for the Lord is with you. Now you see this greeting, as you can imagine would have me on edge. First, there is an angelic being, a messenger, bearing direct special revelation from God in your living room. 
I think you have the right to be frightened. I think you have the right to ask a few questions of this angel, as Mary will proceed to do. Now, just a side note, this angel is described in the masculine form. I mean, his name's Gabriel. So the angel is described, and, and angelic hosts are described in the masculine form through the, throughout the Bible. It is not it is not described as a, as a female, white Caucasian woman with blonde hair and blue eyes with fluttering wings, okay? So I'll, I'll, just, I'll just leave that right there. We'll move on from that. <laughs> Secondly, for the Lord to see you as favored might not mean what you think that it means. I've heard people often say, I am blessed and highly favored of God. And what, in what way are you favored? Are you favored in your good works or in and of yourself? Are you favored just on the bare bone fact that God called you because He is sovereign? It does not mean what you might think that it means. It doesn't mean that you deserve His favor or that Mary was perfect in some way. It doesn't mean that you are perfect or perfectly holy. It does not mean that you are sinless. If Mary, well, we don't want Mary to talk to us. We want Jesus, the Holy Spirit. But if Mary was to say something to us, okay, we're not Catholics, so Mary won't speak to us, okay? She would say, I'm a sinner. She took sacrifices. She offered sacrifices for her sin. So she knew she was sinful. It doesn't mean that you are sinless. It simply means in God's sovereignty that you are chosen for this task. It doesn't mean that you have any value in and of yourself other than being made, made and created in the image of God. Think about it. God had superintended, God had molded human history so that you, Mary, would be found in the very lineage that would bring about the Messiah. It is nothing in yourself that would grant any merit to why God chose you other than He is sovereign and He did. Now, did she react and say, oh, Gabriel, I knew it all along. I knew my day was coming. Or did she say, I'm glad you finally saw my potential, God, and now I can have my best life now. No, she didn't. How did she respond? Look at verse 29. She was greatly troubled at the saying, greatly troubled as we ought to be, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And I think this is an appropriate response. Or the other response would be to run out the door in fear. Greatly troubled carries the notion of being alarmed at trying, and trying to think through the different reasons as, as to what kind of person this is and what greeting this is. She was calculating, trying to discern different readings, so she was both upset and puzzled at the same time. Now, one thing to remember also, it is what not, was not commonplace for a male to engage a female, certainly in the home, especially if they just appeared in your house. Now, we can infer that this angel, Gabriel, did not appear in Mary's home with glowing beams of light surrounding him, as we find with the shepherds, fear not, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. No, we don't see that here at all. We don't see this 
beaming light or any angelic images around Gabriel. None of this, none of this is highlighted from, from Luke. He's just there. And the interaction reaches back to the point that God chose Mary because He can. It is nothing noteworthy in her holiness because God, because that calls God to pick her or that she was holy enough to carry the Savior. No. And I say to you, that should give us hope in our walk with Christ. For it is not in our own self that we try to muster up enough favor to please God. We can't do enough to please, to please God in ourselves. We can't muster up enough works to say, God, look at this, what I've done for you. Look at the work of my hands. It's pleasing to you. Now we want to be pleasing to God with serving Him in that way. But this gives us hope. Why? For it is the holiness of Christ, the righteousness of Christ that we lean upon, not our own righteousness and not our own favor in ourselves. And so in this regard, it gives us hope. Yes, it's very troubling to think that somehow, it's troubling to think that somehow I have been chosen to inherit eternal life through Jesus. It is troubling to think in my own unworthiness that God has somehow, in His sovereignty, have chosen me and chosen you who know Him to serve Him, to be saved, to be redeemed my friends, that thought alone, I think, should have every one of us on our knees in humble adoration, in humility. And although somehow we walk around as if we deserve to be added to the elect, somehow we, we deserve, yes, Lord, I know that your favor has shown upon me because I deserve it. And if I was to sprinkle this Christmas message with some words of encouragement, I would say this, that we all deserve death, hell, and the grave. But by Jesus Christ's coming and by God's sovereignty, by God's grace, His love, He has saved us and rescued us from that. We learn from the character and nature of God Almighty here that He is in total control over every molecule of the cosmos. And if He ever failed to be in control over everything, the world around us would crumble and fall to pieces. And Jesus Christ came to alleviate the weight of sin and to lift the curse and to answer that question of times of trouble. God, will you answer? And His answer has been through His Son. Now, is there anything that we can learn from Mary's interaction here with Gabriel? Certainly there is. That we learn of the character and nature of God, His sovereignty, He's in control. These are things that we, all, we want to highlight through all, of the, all, the, all the narrative of Scripture. But is there anything that we can learn from Mary's interaction? Certainly there are. Are there hints of joy? Are there hints of, of hope in her interactions with Gabriel? First, I want you to know that she was poor economically. We see this when she goes to to offer sacrifice of, of doves, of turtle doves. It, it speaks of her social and her economic position. She was rich economically, or poor economically, but rich spiritually in the sense that she was seeking the answers from God Almighty. She was seeking to know. She was seeking to discern. So that tells us that she might be poor economically, but is rich spiritually. She was troubled and yet tried to think and meditate through her situation. And I believe she was seeking to know the will of God. She was satisfied with her position as never knowing a man in the sexual sense and yet being obedient, as we will see. 
She was first doubtful, and then she trusted God in His Word. Now, I also think that there is a valuable lesson to learn in many, many areas of life. Life itself should always, life itself, no matter what comes our way, no matter what happens in life, should always be held in check by our faith in Christ. Everything. And failure to hold everything in life in check with our faith in Christ will unbalance our walk with the Lord. It will unbalance our mind. It leads us off and unbalances us as we walk in this life. So we must check everything in this life by our faith in Christ. And that, my friends, I believe is what having a Christian worldview will do. Second, the triune God and sovereign over all of this earth should be regarded as the solution of everything in life, the mysteries of life itself, and the guarantee of true safety in Him. We find our refuge in Him. There is safety in Christ. Safety in Him. Troubling, the troubling part is to think that we can and that we do offend the holiness of God. And that we do offend God on occasion. There's none of us in here who are perfect and we sin. Sometimes our thoughts are sinful. They're dirty. Sometimes they go off kilter. But we bring it to Christ. It's troubling in that regard. And then yet joy comes in knowing that we can be counted as favored through the work of Christ. Not ourselves. I want you to notice the response of Gabriel, who is rightfully speaking on behalf of God Almighty, bringing divine special revelation in this regard. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Gabriel. Now, she was afraid, she was frightened, she was greatly troubled, and the angel says to her, Listen, you're going to have a child, and you're going to name him Jesus. Jesus will be known and still is known as Yeshua, which in the variation of the word Joshua, meaning salvation or meaning deliverance, which adds meaning to the name Jesus and His name that He will save His people from their sins. Matthew 1 and verse 21. The only one in human history who has ever really truly 100% lived up to his name that he will save his people from their sins. He goes on to say that he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will rule over the house of Jacob. His kingdom will be forevermore. It's a promise brought to pass stemming from 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 11 through 13 and that last verse says that he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and forever. And then Mary said to the angel, well how shall this be since I am a virgin I've not known a man and the angel answered her and said, well, here's how, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Now, I wish the translators here would have helped us out in the interpretation of this terminology and this word and would have capitalized this word holy because we're talking about God Almighty. He is absolutely holy and above all else. He will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is holy in her old age, has conceived a son. In this sixth month, she was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. Well, why do we add Elizabeth in here? 
Why does the angel just add this footnote of Elizabeth? Oh yeah, by the way, your cousin is having a child too. It reminds you that nothing is impossible with God. Not even somebody in their old age, just as Elizabeth, having a child in her old age. And nothing is impossible for God, in fact, to overshadow you with His Holy Spirit and to create within you to conceive Jesus Christ in, in the womb. As the verse says, just to remind you that nothing is impossible with God. Now, just so we don't verge on the realm of heresy, know that Jesus, knowing the Son of God, is eternal. Okay? The eternal God. And so we find that we are reminded that nothing is impossible with God, like a virgin conceiving a child. That your cousin Elizabeth is with child, even in her old age. But Luke records a few things that I have mentioned in the previous verses in regards to the description of Jesus. Number one, He will be great. As humanity itself is lost and depraved, Jesus is perfect and is sinless, so He will be great. Then He will be great in His ultimate sovereignty. He will be great even in His own and over His own humility and over his own humanity that Jesus will not sin at all and, and, and had total sovereignty even over his own humanity. Secondly, he would be called the son of the highest. Simply put, he is the son of God, the only begotten, the only unique from God. Thirdly, that he will receive the throne of his father David. The description is in a reference to Jesus as Messiah or the anointed one of God. Where Joseph and Mary, even Mary is depicted as the, from the line of David. Jesus is the fulfillment of this lineage. In fact, Mary and Joseph, is the, very, the very purpose that they existed is for Christ. So he will receive the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob, much like the expected Messiah from the line of David. Jesus is also the fulfillment over, over Israel, this long-awaited, long-awaited Messiah King. And then lastly, number five, he will rule in, he, his rule will be forever and without end. This fact is brought to bear and proven by the death of our Lord and his resurrection, that his rule will become a reality to ever-living being when he returns again. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Do you believe that? And in saying that, the Lord will return and his rule will become a reality when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord. So in this small yet powerful description of Jesus and the transaction between Mary and Gabriel, we get a glimpse of his first coming and we get a glimpse of his second coming and his eternal rule over all of the cosmos itself. There is a second thing that is troubling and yet joyful and that is the thought of being a servant. The thought of being a servant. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord and let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from, from her. Now, None of us are ever going to serve the way Mary served. She carried the Savior of the world, the spotless Lamb, the omnipotent God incarnate, 
She carried the Savior. None of us will serve in that, in that capacity. Who else can say that? No one. But see, Mary was not sinless, but she was selfless. So here's Mary. She's talking to the angel, perplexed, discerning his words, simply taking the angel at his word, which is revelation from God. Represents God's special revelation. She is not, she is not given from Gabriel a ten-point logical argument for the existence of God. Okay, she is not given Anselm's five ways on the existence of God. Okay, she is not, she's not given some, some argumentation why God exists or why the child that she will bear, Jesus, will be the only exclusive way to be, to be righteous. She is not given this, this in an argument. She didn't ask for a, a Venn diagram on, on, on why she should trust the, the living God through the word of the messenger, Gabriel. She didn't ask for, for these things. She simply trusted God at his word, and she asked a reasonable question. She said, how will I conceive since I've never known a man? And the explanation was simple enough. Well, just to answer you, God is going to bring it to pass. God's going to do it. He will overshadow you with the Spirit. God's going to bring it to pass, as if to say, only trust Him. Now, in no way is Mary's response one that highlights followers of Jesus to leave your brain at the door. I believe God gave us the brain to use. He wants us to use it as we worship Him in that capacity. He wants us to worship Him the way that we think, the way that, the, the way that we perceive things in the world. We want, he wants us to worship Him through our whole being, including our mind. But I believe that we can and should worship God with our mind. But in this occasion, pressed upon Mary, it calls for simple faith. The words of St. Augustine, it is faith seeking understanding. I have faith in Christ. I have faith in God's word. And then over time, God bears out the reason. God bears out why it's reasonable to trust him at his word. We have faith seeking understanding. And I think that's a good picture here of Mary. She was simply having faith and seeking to understand what was before her. And she said in simple faith, let it be to me according to your word. This is troubling to carry such a task. And it is joyful because she gets to serve the Lord in this way. And you know, there is joy in serving the Lord. As I mentioned, Sarah Kate, earlier, seeing those pictures was great. It was, it was joyful for me. Seeing pictures of, of people from Piney Grove serving our, our team in West Virginia, seeing them serve, joyful. It is joy serving the Lord. And of course, we'll never serve the way that Mary served. And God, God doesn't expect you to serve in that capacity. God doesn't expect you to serve in this way. He just wants you to take him at his word like Mary did here. Let it be according to your word. I, I don't want you walking away from this sermon either thinking that I am somehow pushing up Mary as the hero of the text. You're not hearing me say that I'm pushing up Mary as the hero of the story. No, the hero of the story is and always will be Jesus. But because Jesus is the sovereign hero of the ages, the hero we find in Scripture, 
Because He is the hero of the ages. He moves us to be in joyful adoration as we work and serve in His kingdom. That is why Peter and the disciples leapt for joy and rejoiced. They rejoiced as they were persecuted for the sake of Christ. Why? Because there was joy in serving the Lord even in the very act of persecution itself. Acts 5 and 4, verse 41 speaks of this. It says, And they, that's Peter and the apostles, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his sake. So we think about this transaction between Mary and Gabriel. And we can say that much like John leapt for joy in Elizabeth's womb when next to Jesus in Mary's womb, Peter and the apostles worshiped God at the very thought of being persecuted for the, for the sake of the gospel. And, and this image I see in chapter 5, verse 41, departing from the council rejoicing is that they leapt, they leapt for joy, rejoicing that they were counted, they were counted not necessarily worthy, but they were considered to suffer for for the name of, of Christ. Yes, it is humbling and it is joyful at the same time to think that we get an opportunity in this day and time to serve King Jesus. It's troubling in the fact for me, I don't know if I can speak for everyone in this room, but it is troubling to the fact that I want to serve Him well and it's troubling to me when I don't serve Him well. When I don't serve Him the, well, the way that that I would like to serve Him, and fail Him often I do. It's troubling in that regard, and then joy at the same time to know that I get to serve Him. Even in my deficiencies, even in your deficiencies, you get to still serve King Jesus. We get the honor of living in an era. Think about this. We get the honor of living in an era when, when we get to bask in the truth of the resurrected Christ. We get the privilege to serve in Jesus' name. And if the Lord returns again, we get the privilege of seeing Him return. Imagine that. We get the privilege of living in an era when Jesus is risen again and then to see Him return. No other generation can boast of such joyful truths and hope. So I say to you, friends, rejoice for the Lord is at hand. Rejoice. There is troubling and joyful thoughts of being favored. Not that we have any merit of ourselves, not that we have gained any type of recognition in ourselves or that we can muster up a, a good enough work to please God, but being favored is not necessarily that we have any merit, but that God has simply called us according to His sovereign will. It is troubling and joyful as He called Mary to this task. And it is troubling and joyful, the thought of being a servant. Sometimes we mess it up, but we still get the privilege of serving God. We still get the joy of serving Christ. And that, I hope, brings you peace today. I hope that brings you hope and peace. So you might be here today, and you might be struggling. Lord, how might I serve you? And may I say, just as simple as Mary's respond, let it be to me according to your word, God. May I just trust you at your word. And I hope you find peace and solace in that today. And I'll ask you, if you will, as we reflect upon these words, would you join me in a moment of prayer, thinking about the word of God?